0: You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. This is a Pass the Mic episode, where I turn the Waterloop podcast over to a guest host. This is Waterloop episode number 128, Inside Illinois' Lead Legislation. Illinois is the state with the most lead service lines for drinking water in the country, estimated to be between 700,000 and 1.4 million, with a large number of those found in Chicago. But in 2021, the efforts of a diverse coalition of stakeholders led to passage of landmark legislation that made Illinois one of only two states to require replacement of all lead service lines. An inside look at the Illinois legislation is provided in this Pass the Mic episode, which is guest hosted by Jeremy Orr, an environmental attorney specializing in Safe Drinking Water Act enforcement, who previously worked at the Natural Resources Defense Council and now is at Earth Justice. Jeremy talks with Justin Williams of the Metropolitan Planning Council in Chicago about the problem of lead service lines, the disproportionate impact on communities of color, the extensive work it took to pass the legislation, and expected benefits for people and the economy. Before starting the conversation, a few quick reminders. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet that depends on a variety of support. That includes you as a listener. If you value Waterloop's content, consider making a contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thewaterloop. Waterloop is made possible in part by a grant from Spring Point Partners. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, a company that is revolutionizing graywater recycling in homes and businesses. Learn how to use water twice at hydroloop.com. And now I've got to pass the mic.
1: Welcome to Waterloop. My name is Jeremy Orr, and I'm the guest host for this episode. Uh, I'm an environmental lawyer who mainly works on uh, Safe Drinking Water Act enforcement. i spent the last few years uh, at Natural Resources Defense Council as a senior attorney working on uh, lead and drinking water. Uh, and I'm joined today by uh, my colleague, Justin Williams of the Metropolitan Planning Council uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and we're going to spend some time today talking about some work that we uh, engaged in together, passing uh, you know, landmark legislation to replace all the lead service lines uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, Justin, want to give a little intro and little background about yourself and your work? Sure. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, Really excited to be here. Um, Really happy to be talking about this important issue. Um, As Jeremy said, my name is Justin Williams, and I work at the Metropolitan Planning Council in Chicago, Illinois. We are an 87-year-old planning and infrastructure policy organization working in Chicago and Illinois. Um, And uh, we work across a variety of infrastructure issues, including. Water infrastructure, transportation, land use and planning, housing, community development, and uh, I was really excited to be working uh, with Jeremy and uh, many
1: other partners on the lead service line replacement legislation that was passed this year in Illinois. Thank you, thank you, and again, you know, again, thanks, Justin, for for joining me for this conversation. I think we we engaged in some really uh, meaningful work with a number of our you know kind of colleagues on the ground and, and local community partners and uh, you know, we're able to, to get this, you know, kind of bill over the hill and, and, and to share just a little bit of history of, um, you know, lead, lead and drink water in particular in Illinois, uh, or not history, but just even facts for that matter. Uh, you know, there's, Illinois is known to have the most lead service lines of, of, of any state in the country. Uh, we have the city of Chicago, uh, that has the most lead service lines of any city uh, you know, in the country, somewhere near uh, around 400,000 estimated. We've seen the estimates for Illinois to be uh, near, uh, well, well, you know, a- around 700,000, but estimated to potentially be above uh, 1 million lead service lines. So we're talking a lot of lead pipes bringing, uh, you know, lead contaminated drinking water to people's homes uh, throughout the state, right? So it's it's no small issue by any means, right? Uh, and, and I think part of that, which we've, we've known, uh, is you know, a city like Chicago had allowed for the use of lead service lines all the way through, uh, you know, 1986, right? And this was you know, uh, in, in the context of of lead being uh, you know a known poison. This is like fairly recent, right? So we know there were were communities around the country that stopped using lead, you know, uh, long before the city of Chicago stopped using it. Not only you know allowed for the use of it, the city of Chicago actually mandated it till 1986. So when we think about why there are so many uh, lead pipes in the ground in, in, in Chicago and Illinois um, as opposed to, you know, many other places it's because of this required uh, use of it. But to, to talk a bit more about the, the scope of that problem uh, in Illinois, Justin, you want to share, uh, uh, share some about that? Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Um, so as
2: Jeremy mentioned, Illinois has more lead service lines than any other state in the country. I should say more known lead service lines than any other state in the country. Uh, there may be com- there may be states with more, but we just don't know yet. Uh, that's possible. Uh, but to put a point on that, you know, Illinois has over 675,000 known lead service lines in the state and additionally up to a million service lines of an unknown material composition that could, in fact, be made of lead-based materials. Um, those communities with lead service lines are distributed really across the state. Uh, from the most southernmost part of the state up to uh, the border with Wisconsin. Uh, But we do also know that lead service lines appear to be more concentrated in communities with high percentages of people of color living in them. Um, So I think that that gives you some sense of, of just how big of a problem we're dealing with here in Illinois.
1: Justin, why, you know, why is, you know, it's crazy that needs to be asked, right? But I think it's an important question. Like, why is lead in drinking water so bad? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so lead is a pretty
2: well-known and potent neurotoxin. We've known this for a long time. Um, I've actually even seen some recent research that suggests ancient Romans knew about lead poisoning. Um, which is maybe no surprise given that they were using lead in their plumbing supplies really at that point. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, so, uh, lead is a, is a pretty nasty material, right? And drinking water is one possible known exposure for lead. Uh, the thing is, is that lead doesn't leave the treatment plant. It doesn't usually come out of the water supply with a bunch of lead in it. Um. Oftentimes it's introduced through plumbing systems as it travels through, uh, throughout the water infrastructure system. Um, we can be exposed to lead in our drinking water through what's known as a lead service line. Um, and a service line is a pipe that carries water to your home uh, from the water main running underneath the street, right? So if you want to picture a service line as a straw, that connects the tap in your home to the water main running under the street, that's what a service line is. And that can be made of lead-based materials. Um, When they are made of lead-based materials, um, as you can imagine, that can introduce lead into the drinking water system. And uh, there's some evidence that they can contribute up to
1: 75% of lead in drinking water when it's present. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me about um you know the 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 dangers of, of lead in drinking water and, and and lead service lines was a disproportionate impact that it had on particular communities, right? And and, and we've known that um, you know drinking water, uh, you know, lack of access to drinking water and and and, and uh, affordability of drinking water kind of disproportionately impacts certain communities. I know I had a colleague at an RGC that produced a report named Water Down Justice that looked at um, the disproportionate um, you know, impacts of Safe Drinking Water Act, uh, violations, particularly in communities of color. So not that, you know, it didn't necessarily only look at lead, but it looked at, uh, you know, violations in terms of contamination. It, it looked at how, um, you know, how long these violations went without being fixed, right? Or, or um, you know, what particular communities, uh, were more likely to, 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 be hit with contaminated water and so on. So, um, you talk a, a bit about the, 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 community that may have been disproportionately, or may be still, right, disproportionately impacted by lead and drinking water and in lead service lines in Illinois? Sure, yeah. So
2: um, in November of 2020, MPC released some research on uh, the disproportionate effect, or the distribu- disproportionate distribution of lead service lines in communities of color. And, you know, as Jeremy mentioned, I think, We've observed that a lot of the big lead in drinking water crises that have happened in the United States have happened in predominantly African-American communities. So if we think about communities like Newark and Washington, D.C. and Flint, right, these are communities with large proportions of of African-Americans living in them. Um, And so we wanted to see whether we could confirm if something similar was happening in Illinois. And what we did is we looked at where lead service lines were distributed throughout the state. And we tried to identify, okay, what are the demographic characteristics of those communities? And what we found is when you look at the 50 communities with the most known lead service lines in Illinois, you see that they contain 95% of the state's known lead service lines. And they also include a disproportionate percentage of the state's black and Latinx residents. Um, uh, Let me put that in a slightly different way. Illinois black and Latinx populations are twice as likely as white Illinoisans to be living in one of these communities that contains nearly all of the state's known lead service lines. Uh, 65% of the state's Black and Latinx populations are living in those communities. Meanwhile, only 30% of the state's white population are living in those same communities. And I think what that demonstrates is that you know, a- among the lead service lines that we know about, uh, our state's Black and Latinx populations are much more likely to be to be living in communities that contain that infrastructure.
1: So how does that happen? Right. And I, and I think that's an important question. Right. If, if we know, you know, lead service lines were the, the normal practice to be used around the country and, and, and even throughout Illinois up to a certain point. right? How was it? And so if we know they were pretty much being used everywhere right throughout the state and, and, and particularly throughout the, the region, the Chicagoland region. Uh, how do we end up with the fact that, you know, we're here we are and, you know, 2022 and, you know, it, it, the the overwhelming majority of these, you know, service lines are in the communities of color, but not in, you know, um, you know, wealthier, you know, kind of white communities. Like, like, how does, how does, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a,
2: um, that's a million dollar question. And I, you know, I, um, I can try to take a stab at maybe one answer. Um, which I think part of it has something to do with legacy infrastructure and where that's distributed. Right. Um, So the communities that have known lead service lines were um, pretty universally built before 1987, right? A large percent of the the housing stock was built before 1987 uh, because that's when Congress banned the use of lead-based plumbing. Um, And when you look at where the state's uh, people of color are primarily located, they're located in those legacy communities. Um, part of that story is probably about white flight, right? So, as we saw white residents leave for the suburbs, they left behind aging infrastructure um, and nobody cleaned up the mess. There was no funding to remove lead service lines. And so, today's residents are dealing with decisions of, you know, Politicians, decision makers from fifty years ago, sixty years ago, right. Um, so I think that's probably part of the story. I don't, I don't know, Jeremy. Do you? What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I mean, I, 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 think that's right. I, I think that's a significant portion of it, right. And and two, right. I think oftentimes when we have these conversations about infrastructure. Um, it's it's hard to have any of these kind of conversations around environmental decision making without invoking kind of environmental justice and environmental racism, right? Um, so I, I think when we think about uh, you know, the, the 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 history of of, of you know racism and, and white flight and, and especially urban urban cores, right, where we're finding you know so many of these like service lines, like it would it would make sense. And the other piece too, which I, I you know I, I tend to think about is. Um, you know, where infrastructure investments for the last 30 or 40 years have been made, right? So particularly communities that also probably had led service lines at some point, uh, you know, having their infrastructure, their crumbling, poisonous infrastructure replaced, um, you know, much, much sooner, right? Than, than, than low-income communities and communities of color. So that tends to be, you know, also, one of the things that, that comes to mind is, is beyond just the legacy portion of it is is you know who, who who you know who does live in these communities and you know who's who's getting money who's getting the infrastructure upgrades and and who's not getting them and I, and I think that's a very real I think that's a very real portion of it as well um, and and then with that too like thinking about like these disproportionate impacts as we begin to kind of dig into the the the, the Illinois work uh, in the, the passage of that bill. Like one of the things that comes to mind when I think about like the, the way this work of, of advocating for clean drinking water around the country and in particular around, uh, you know, lead and, and drinking water, as you pointed out, uh, you know, many of, of the communities that we see, you know, we've, we've seen in the media and, and in the news that have, have faced these crises, right? You, you, you talked about Flint, right? There was, you know, had the New Jersey, uh, the Newark, you know, water crisis and, uh, you know, dealing with lead and drinking water and, and you know, we're, we're seeing this. Uh, you know, there's been harbor. Uh, you know, again, you know, lead and drinking water crisis, as well. You know, predominantly, uh, you know, low-income black communities. Uh, you know, one of the things that stood out to me about the work in Illinois was, like, like the, the, the way things move and the way things get done is is by these constituencies, like, actually showing up and and holding their you know elected and appointed officials accountable. And but but that means like having a broad coalition of of impacted community members and 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 other folks to to kind of show up so could you talk a bit about just the the coalition that uh we were able to build out to to begin to even get like to even make this an issue or make this a concern in in illinois yeah definitely i mean so i
2: a few of the key players right and i i think this was a big Communal effort, as you point out, but a few of the key players that I think were were really critical to the success of this bill were, you know, environmental justice groups in uh, in and around the region, the Chicago region, uh, the faith community. You know, we had people who who work in the faith community who are concerned with workforce development and equitable uh, distribution of of environmental goods and bads. Um, you know. More conventional environmental groups, uh, civic groups like the Metropolitan Planning Council, public health advocates, children's advocates, labor was certainly involved too, and was a piece of this, a big piece of this. Um, and you know, our fantastic, you know, legislative sponsors who really wanted to see this work get done. You know, they they were the ones who carried this bill. They were the ones who made it happen. And I think everyone working together to really address this issue was was an important part of the success of this effort
1: yeah no I, I, I think that's right um, you know kind of kind of having been plugged into like this work in kind of two phases like we kind of split up there was this you know there was um, there was movement on this years ago right like like more than you know more than five years ago when we first, before we first started like really come together and working. on there have been movement on it and um, you know, folks had tried, tried to coalesce around, you know, getting action uh, on this, right? And, and you know, for one reason or another that, you know, kind of consistently failed or kind of consistently been put on the back burner whenever it was, you know, whenever they felt like it was time to move on it. Um, and then, right, in these last couple of years, this, you know, coalition came together, it was built out in a way that like was really reflective of, you know, impacted community, right? Uh, reflective of you know in, in environmental advocates who who you know who have a, a, a stake in, in in clean you know drinking water as you mentioned reflective of of labor right who 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 stands to uh, benefit greatly when we think about the economic benefits of this which I you know I love to hear you talk about in in a, in a little bit as well particularly the economic benefits of this bill um, but yeah it, it felt like this this diverse coalition of supporters like really like moved it, really began to move this in a way that we hadn't seen it uh, move before. And, and for me, I, I think that's like what, I think that set the groundwork for how we began to get like real action on it. Because I mentioned, right, this bill had been proposed in some draft form by, you know, maybe different legislators and or maybe different coalitions, different versions of, of, of the coalition, but uh, it hadn't really got action. And for me, it felt like that was that's what kind of set the stage to prompt like actual action on it. Was like this diverse group of folks coming together and working with stakeholders that we don't normally work with too. Right. I I think that was the thing, even though we didn't always disagree, didn't always agree. Um, we were working, you know, with and engaging with, um, you know, the, the, the municipal league, right. And, and, and engaging with the American waterworks association chapters in Illinois. So there were folks who we don't always agree with on issues, particularly on water infrastructure and, and how to fix these issues. But, um, like they were actually at the table and stayed at the table and worked through these issues in a meaningful way. But I don't know if you have other thoughts on like what, you know, what was it that really helped us get traction on this to be, to begin with? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say
2: something similar, you know, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, some of the other stakeholders who were involved in this and were really critical to the success of this. Like there's no way we would have gotten this done without being in, in, regular conversation with with our municipal representation the municipal league as well as uh, our water utility professionals in the state i think having them involved having that conversation with them and and as you say we didn't always agree right but i think we ultimately got to a place um where where this bill could move forward and i think that was a really really critical piece of this just like understanding that Taking those stakeholders' input seriously and, and, and really trying to work with them, I think, was really critical.
1: And, and building on that, right, because I mentioned, like, the, you know, we, we didn't always agree, uh, even even in the midst of negotiating and trying to get something meaningful passed, um, you know, we had our share of, of disagreements, uh, you know, with, with other stakeholders. What would you say was probably the biggest challenge to, to getting this over, over the hill? I think one thing that was a big challenge was was
2: trying to identify a funding source to get this work done. Right. Like we know that there are communities in Illinois who are going to need financial assistance in getting this work done. And in the in the end, I think we just. um, It was a challenge to identify a funding source that was really going to work for everyone. Um, and I think that that was, that was kind of a point that, um, required a lot of work. Um, and, you know, ultimately we didn't get to it. Um, you know, gratefully the federal government is, is obviously working really, uh, really diligently to provide a lot of that funding. And that's going
1: to be really huge in Illinois. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That, that felt like the biggest, um, you know kind of of the biggest sticking points and in, in in those negotiations kind of early on right so it was, it was it was it was interesting because it was it was the issue of you know saying it's you know especially hearing from you know municipalities and political leaders who we're going to be responsible for doing the work right and utilities were responsible for figuring this out is you know they it was expensive right and it started off as we a funding source and then we found a funding source and then it's like well we don't want that funding source it's like well we got to You know, you got to have something. I think we pitched a couple of different ideas and it became, you know, rather clear that, okay, like, is there, is there a way that we can at least, uh, and the way we resolve it, right, is, is, is putting the ball back in their court to say, you know, okay, you, you can figure out the funding source, right? Like you can figure out And there's this advisory committee that. And we and now, you know we can probably pause for a second, Justin. You can share a bit about like what's actually in the bill. Like I don't want the conversation to go on it's huh, sure. not describe. Like we actually, what like because it's some pretty significant stuff in the bill. Like some yeah. we got some stuff passed, right? So I, I I will love you to touch on that. Just maybe some of the bullet points of you know what what we got out of that. But but to that point, yeah, you know it was was saying okay, you know what you can you know the ball's in your court. You can you can figure out funding, but we were able to put some some you know kind of pieces and plates and some restrictions to say, you know, um, you know, this, this is, you know, you can figure it out, but doing it in a way that's equitable, doing it in a way that doesn't put the burden solely on, you know, homeowners who, by the way, in many cases, didn't, you know, di- didn't install, you know, these lead pipes or, or, or didn't opt for them. They were required to, in many instances, right, to, to do so, uh, but yeah, I think that that funding piece was uh, you know was a really tough sticking point. So, I mean, I remember those. We were meeting multiple times a week with a stakeholder group of like seventy. We're literally like seventy people were on these calls, and uh, we finally broke down into a smaller group and said, "Okay, like, what do you, you know? What do we need to get over the hump?" And you know, it was that you know giving them that authority to say, you know, this is how we'll figure it out and we'll do it in a way that doesn't you know doesn't strap homeowners with it. But with that, like I you know, I'd love to you share a bit about like what you know what like why was this bill so important why was it so big because the thing is it was at the time it was only the second mandate uh you know passed in in the country and i believe it's still the third i know michigan had passed um or michigan I did it through rulemaking shortly after the same water crisis it was ours uh and then um was it new jersey uh new jersey yeah passed it maybe about a month after our bill had passed so would love to, yeah, I'd love to hear about like what like the components of the bill that really made this important, and that are actually sure. really really the meat of what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, and I I mean I'll I'll say, and this is a good tie-in. I think that I think one of the things that allowed the bill to really succeed is that we were all committed to doing this in a way that worked for communities, right? That that was possible and was and and was not, um, you know placing an unmanageable burden on the state's water utility to do this work while still providing some discrete timelines and some some motivation to get the work done. And I think that was a really key component of, of, of doing this. I, in terms of what's in the bill, I mean, at its heart, right, it requires every utility to find and replace every lead service line in the state on some discrete timeframes. Those timeframes vary depending on how many lead service lines a community has in its inventory. Um, so if your community has you know, um, fewer than 10,000 lead service lines, I believe you have 17 years to replace all of them. If you have more than, uh, say, uh, 100,000, so that's only one community in the state, which is the city of Chicago, you have 50 years to replace all your lead service lines. And it varies in between depending on how many lead service lines are in your community. Um, and so that, I think, is an important sort of feasibility component. We recognize that some communities are just going to need more time than others um, to replace their lead service lines. Um, uh, it also bans partial lead service line replacement, uh, which is a dangerous practice that, uh, that we were very happy to see uh, no longer be legal in the state of Illinois as of January 1st of this year. Um, and, uh, what a partial lead service line replacement is, is, um, you know, uh, utilities in the past have sometimes, uh, replaced only the portion of the lead service line that runs from the water main to the, the curb, right. And they've done this in order to save costs or perhaps because they couldn't get access to a homeowner's, um, to a homeowner's property or any number of other reasons, right. Uh, Unfortunately, what that does is it can actually disturb settled lead particles that are in the lead service line and flush them into the drinking water system, and it can really elevate and spike lead levels in drinking water. And so um, we made it a centerpiece, really, of this legislation that that um, partial lead service line replacements are no longer uh, allowed in the state of Illinois. Uh Additionally, it creates a uh, a grant program um, that uh, will prioritize low income, high need communities for lead service line replacement. Um, as we continue to advocate for funding for lead service line replacement in the state of Illinois, um, that will likely be the grant program that uh, is um, is made eligible. Uh, Jeremy, what am I missing? There's a
1: lot in that bill. Yeah,
2: Contracting
1: other, requirements. Yep, yep. There's some yeah. I mean, I think you the main thing, I think, you know, it it, it also um it requires and I think it was starting beginning of this year, January first as well, to when they're doing water main replacements, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you also have to replace it alongside, you know, replace the service line alongside water main replacement. Because one of the things that we've seen is as Justin mentioned, right, utilities will undertake whole projects. In particular, we saw with the city of Chicago undertook a 10 year capital improvement project to replace um, you know, nearly 100 miles or more of, of, um, of water main, right, and, 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 you know, didn't replace the, the land service lines alongside of it, so making sure that's being done, uh, creates this land service line advisory board, right, which will be, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, filled with, with, you know, individuals who represent certain stakeholder groups, so there's like a, you know, an environmental justice, you know, spot on there, uh, you know, an environmental organization spot on their community spot, so, uh, you know, this advisory group will kind of give you know, uh, you know stakeholder recommendations to the state on how to, to carry out this work. And, and one piece that I think was really important um, was, which we were able to get in, in the bill, was we established a, a statewide low-income water assistance program, right? And it may not have been directly connected to, uh, you know, the work of, of lead service line replacement, but when we think about water infrastructure and the cost and affordability of water as a whole, um, you know water water assistance was was critical and i and was actually the first um you know the, the the first statewide program to be created in the country to to provide for some sort of water assistance which i believe will be kind of created through a rulemaking process eventually a
2: couple other ones that i that i forgot those are good ones the um So there are workforce equity and contracting equity provisions in the bill. Uh, It requires every utility to make a good faith effort to utilize uh, minority women uh, business enterprises. Um, And it also uh, defines what good good faith effort means. Um, So that I think was an important um, contracting equity provision. Uh, additionally, it requires every utility to create a plan for lead service line replacement right I mean I, one of the things that we've noticed in 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 nPC's work is that there are utilities who who don't know the scope of the problem in their utility area right like they don't they haven't done the inventory and number two, even if they had done the inventory, they may not have a plan on how to address it and how to prioritize high risk facilities like child cares and child care centers and schools in the replacement of lead service lines. So these are another couple important provisions that that are in there really to make sure that residents' health is protected and utilities have have the sort of clear signposts that they need in order to get this work done.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that you mentioned, especially in terms of of, of the workforce development prevent, uh, provisions, were uh, which which ended up, I think, playing a critical part in the passage of this bill was just the economic development that um, you know that that stood that we stood to see from this. Could you share a bit about just just like what some of those numbers look like, some of the projected numbers of uh, economic benefit to you know to to the to the state and to workers? You know, where you know where this bill to get passed. And it's important because I begin seeing you know this analysis of economic benefit show up in the federal conversation, right? So at the same time we were kind of hashing this out and we've kind of talked about this, right. There were a lot of things outside of our control that just really helped, you know, kind of blow the doors open for this opportunity. But one of them I, you know, I kept seeing was, um, you know, state, uh, or our, um, you know, our U.S. Senator, you know, Tammy Duckworth was really pushing on well, this was kind of negotiations of infrastructure, really pushing, um, you know, Congress on funding for lead service line replacement. And she would, you know, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes, quote Illinois numbers and and you know, Chicago numbers, and I, and I begin to see this this you know these economic benefits pop up uh, in federal conversations, and this particularly for for Illinois. So, I, yeah, if you could share about what some of those projections were.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we did some analysis of the 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 economic benefits of lead service line replacement, and we found that uh, replacing Illinois-led service lines would create up to $1.15 billion in economic activity every year and sustain uh, up to 11,000 jobs per year. I mean, and, and this is consistent with a lot of infrastructure development work, right? Like we've seen pretty consistently that investing in our infrastructure is a real economic engine. Um, and so we were really happy to see that included in the to see dedicated lead service line replacement funding included in the infrastructure investment and jobs act or the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, because not only is it going to address this major public health looming crisis, but it also is going to create economic activity at a time when it's badly needed.
1: Yeah, and 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 building on that, right? The right kind of the economic benefits that were you know being lifted up in Illinois, and then you know kind of being lifted up um you know national conversations you know by by our elected officials uh like what were and like what were some of the other what were some of the other kind of key things that just happened right they just happened because they happened and you know like they say sometimes it's better to be you know lucky than than good right but i think we got some guys we were working on this i think we were well prepared right But i think we got some unexpected help from a a a few different areas in terms of just kind of political dynamics and conversations that were taking place that just really helped us get over the hill. So you want to talk a bit about, about those too? Sure. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I think a big part of, of why this issue got so much traction in 2021 was, um, was because the, the, the Illinois legislative black caucus really got behind it and they, they, saw this issue as a racial equity issue, um, and, and really picked it up and, and made sure that it was part of the conversation in the 2021 legislative cycle. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's fantastic. And it was really like, there's no, I, I I think that was just a critical component of this, that, that really, you know, We had some control over in the sense that or some preparation for in the sense that that you know we had done this analysis of like okay what is what is the racially disparate impact of lead service line distribution in illinois right and and i think that that helped to make that case um uh and you know I think that the the Black Caucus, the Legislative Black Caucus in Illinois, um, has has been a strong force in Illinois politics for a long time, and I think the 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 murder of George Floyd and and the the real, I think, national um, conversation around the need for for racial justice, racial equity, um, I think, added to that power and and um you know so i think when they made when the legislative black caucus made that part of their agenda you know i think that was a really strong a strong
1: endorsement i don't know
2: what do you think jeremy what were some of the other things you
1: noticed No, I think I think that's right. I think the you know the Black Caucus agenda like that because because the way it the way it kind of played out, if, if you recall, they, we we kind of had two shots at it, right? And but we knew the last one was kind of going to be the big one. We, we we got reached out, to, we got contacted by the Black Caucus, kind of over Christmas break, right? It was kind of near like like nearing the end of a session, kind of you know closing out a session, and ultimately it ended up getting passed in the next session. We decided to hold you know hold off on it, but. I mean, it came up there, right? And they kind of reached out, was like, "Hey, we want to make this part of our agenda." And we just—I don't think it was on any of our radar, right? We had looked up, and it had been introduced. Um, an a older form of it had been introduced, and at that point, we had kind of been working to, to redraft it to be more equitable, and and that's what we did. We said, "Hey, you know, this is great. Keep it as part of your agenda, but let us, you know, take some time to to figure out how to how to do this right and do it equitably, right, and and, and, and get an updated version of the bill." But I just I just remember us like being surprised because we hadn't really heard about the fact that there was going to be movement. And you know we looked up and it was on their agenda and you know kind of been introduced. And I don't know if that's really important. I, I do think the other piece of that, too, is um, just like the national like the national movement around infrastructure, in particular, water infrastructure over the last year. Uh, and really, you know, a big part of that being with you know, being a big focus of the Biden administration. I think that really helped it just kind of take off because you started seeing, uh, Illinois being like the poster child for like being on the cusp of a crisis unless we fix it. Right. So like you were saying, like, you know, known led service lines potentially being, you know, known led service lines being around 700,000, potentially being more than a million, you know, being far and away above any other state, like Illinois kind of became this focal point of these national conversations. I mean, we've seen, you know, we began to see Illinois pop up in New York times on CNN and the Hill and guardian and all these stories begin to pop up locally and nationally that I think, you know, the, the legislature just couldn't avoid. I remember once I remember one, one period in particular where we were having our stakeholder meeting with, you know, stakeholders. And as mentioned, you know, some of them were tense and we couldn't get on the same page, but there was like, it was that Sunday, like a Chicago tribune article had ran about, uh, just, you know, Illinois' longstanding problem with lead service lines needing to be tackled now. And so all the stakeholders, you know, uh, some of whom who have kind of been pushing back and a bit holding up the process. It was like, man, this is front page, front and center. And they're pointing at, you know, municipalities and political leaders as a reason as to why there hasn't been movement on it. I feel like there was just a lot of attention that we, you know, we, you know, we we couldn't have you know, planned for or even imagined that kind of uplifted those issues in ways that, Yeah, it was certainly unexpected to me, particularly like those media opportunities and national spotlight on the issue, water broadly, but in particular Illinois was really helpful.
2: Yeah, and I think another part of the conversation too, right, was as President Biden was coming into office, right, there was a lot of conversation about infrastructure package and infrastructure bill, right, that eventually became the bipartisan infrastructure framework. And and the promise of, or the not the promise, but the potential for, you know, fifteen billion dollars ultimately in dedicated funding to replace lead service lines. I think was was certainly on people's minds, right? That there would there would potentially
1: be a dedicated federal funding source for this issue. Yeah, yeah, and, and I remember that. Like our our messaging around that began to shift to this money's coming, are you going to be ready for it? Like, are are, are, are yeah. you going to be ready to receive this money and put these federal dollars to work immediately? Or are you going to wait until these dollars come and you know, be behind the eight ball and try to figure out how you're going to distribute these funds and utilize them? I think that was really helpful, like, in, in, in that as well. Like, in, in, of that, of all the different things that we kind of talked about, some that were in our control, and that were outside of it, what would you say if you had to pick one? Was maybe the single biggest kind of factor in in helping um, helping pass this this legislation? Um, I think that's another really tough question.
2: And I might instead of instead of saying what I think the biggest one is, I'll I'll pick one and then I'll ask you what you think. Um, uh, you know, for me, I think one big piece of it was really the the research case we made right that we could demonstrate that this was a problem statewide that we could demonstrate that, that this was disproportionately affecting communities with high percentages of people of color living in them right like i think that was really powerful to be able to 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 confirm that right and i think these are things that the environmental justice community has known for a long time right and and i think our ability to to really put data to that was was tremendously helpful. Um, And I think, you know, and if I step back and I go back a little bit in time, right, that was made possible by a bill that was passed in 2016 in Illinois, requiring every community in Illinois to inventory their service lines and report the number of known lead service lines in their community. Right. And I think that that Having that inventory and being able to say, yes, this is a problem statewide and we know where, um, you know, was was really big. And, you know, we could talk about the refinements that are needed to that inventory. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, that's huge. And I I, I actually don't know. And I wonder if you know, Jeremy, how many other states have have statewide lead service line inventories? Do you know?
1: I, I, I don't, there aren't a ton though. I, I know there's a, like a reference document that exists out there. I think EDF may have like produced it a couple years ago, uh, but there weren't, I mean, there weren't a, a ton and especially not inventories in a meaningful, in a meaningful way. So probably a, realistically, probably a handful. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. What do you think were, was, were one or some of
1: the big, made the biggest difference? But I, I think the, for me, I think the most important piece or one of the most important pieces that helped, you know, really get this was and, and I think it's tied to kind of the, the, the research case, particularly around around equity and justice on this was like taking taking this, taking a step back and getting it right. Right. And, and I think when I, I, you know, I mentioned, you know, our, the bill that got introduced kind of around during the close of a session. Uh, and we ended up, you know, pausing it to wait till the next session and really like go after it. But it was at that point where I don't know if you remember, we had a conversation kind of right after Christmas where, uh, you know, we had talked to and shout out to our amazing Kyle, uh, colleague, Colleen Smith who was at uh, Illinois Environmental Council at the time who really helped lead the political aspect of this work. And I think all three of us met and we had a conversation that you know, it was essentially, "Hey, we can pass this older version of the bill as is." Right. Probably pretty easily. It won't have any teeth to it, it won't have any kind of equity and justice components to it, but we can get something on the books, or we can we can take a step back, tell them let's kick it to next session. Let's really redraft it to make sure that that equity is is accounted for in here. Um and and that's what we chose. We said, No, let's do it right, right? Let's do it equitable and let's make sure that communities are protected, communities are centered in this work and centered in this bill, we're moving forward and um, not to have a say in it. And I think to me, that was one of the most significant portions because it was at this nexus of, OK, do we just want to kind of pass something just to get it passed or, or do we want to really, you know, focus in? And I think it was it was us taking the time to get that equity, you know, to to make sure that equity was in front and center in the bill that then allowed more stakeholders and more partners to say, yeah, like I'm in, I'm supported, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go to bat for it. We're willing to make the calls, we're willing to do the testimonies, we're willing to send the emails, we're willing to send out to our membership. And I think that was really helpful in making the difference there was, was taking the time to make sure that equity was centered because that then allowed more folks to say, you know, this is something that we can get behind uh, and, and push. I, I think that was a significant portion of it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, as, as we kind of begin to, to, to wind down, what would you say is, like what's next, right, for, for, for the implementation of this bill? You mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the year, there were some provisions that already kind of kicked in, right, the, the banning of partial lead severation replacements, um, you know, now, you know, also being required to do lead sign replacement alongside water main replacement, but what's next for kind of the meat of implementation and getting this work done? And then two, like, how do you think, like, what are some ways that, that you know, a bill like this then creates other opportunities for, Uh, water infrastructure, you know, presently or or in the future?
2: Yeah. So,
1: um,
2: you know, I think that some of the the biggest parts of of what's next is how do we make sure that um, every community, every household has the financial and technical resources they need to have their lead service line replaced, right? And, you know, I think on the one hand, that's making sure there's enough money, right? So, um, you know, again, the bipartisan infrastructure bill had $15 billion in in dedicated lead service line replacement funding, which, you know, Illinois' share of that is going to be significant, right? But it's not going to be enough to address the problem in Illinois. So uh, Illinois is slated to receive somewhere in the range of $560 million through the bipartisan infrastructure framework for lead service line replacement. The cost of replacing all of Illinois' lead service lines is likely going to be somewhere north of six billion dollars, right? So we need to figure out how to fund that uh, and make sure we're funding it without breaking the backs of low-income Illinoisans. Um, so, so that's going to be a big part. Is how do we get how do we how do we make sure that there's enough funding available? The other big part is making sure that utilities and communities and households have. The, the resources they need to take advantage of that funding, right? And part of that is going to be making sure that that um, there are some transparent and equitable criteria in place for distributing whatever funding exists. Part of it's going to be making sure that utilities have have the technical capacity they need to implement lead service line replacement. In their communities, because uh, we know there are communities in Illinois and, and throughout the country who um, you know uh, may not have the the staff or technical expertise needed to really do this work, and and we want to see those communities succeed. So, how do we set up those systems? Um, and then finally, it's going to be making sure that that property owners have the information they need in order to to make the best choice for them about lead service line replacement and make sure that the only thing in that to make sure that they're not just thinking about the cost of a replacement that that they have some financial assistance that they're thinking about long-term property values and and health effects if they leave that lead service line in the ground making sure they have information to make good decisions um, so that's one big part of it right is is just like making sure those resources financial and technical and information are are really in place And I think that, that some of that ties pretty directly into a bigger conversation at the moment about how the state revolving fund programs are operating throughout the country. Um, so the state revolving fund are a set of programs, uh, run by us EPA and then administered by, by individual States. And, and there's some evidence nationally that, um, Low-income communities of color are receiving fewer of the benefits of this really major infrastructure funding program. It's one of the primary ways that a lot of utilities finance major capital investments. Um, And so how do you use lead service line replacement as a model for for ensuring that the state revolving fund programs are, are also paying attention to those same equity issues? And, and, and are also responsive to communities, right? They are now, right? But like, how do you improve those progra- programs so that they're, they're really reaching their fullest potential and reaching, reaching every community in need? Um, and I think that's gonna be a big challenge moving forward, right? And, and, and one that
1: lead service line replacement really opens up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I I think that's right, right. I think it can play out in a number of ways, but like the the, the biggest takeaway from that is, um, you know, making sure that we're doing work, in particular, the infrastructure work in a in an equitable way that ensures, especially the most like the hardest hit communities, you know, have access to clean, safe affordable water right and 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 this is part of it and a big part of that is that piece of transparency right like we can't like this work can't happen in a meaningful way without uh the level of transparency and commitment to equity that uh we need to do right and i think that's i think that's spot on right like like because the end result right or or the end goal of all of this is to ensure that you know people have all people regardless of, of race and and income and anything else that you just you have access to the clean, safe water, right? And, and I think that's, you know, I, I think this, this lead service line replacement work in these conversations has lifted this up in a way that kind of centers, you know, water infrastructure to say, okay, it's it's lead right now, right? Cool, let's, let's knock out lead, right? But while we're doing that, let's figure out what else we need to be working on as well to ensure that, you know, um, you know, folks have, folks have this, you know, access to clean
2: water. I think that's such an important point, Jamie, because I think, I mean, you know me, I'm a big wonk. Right. And so I can get like really caught up in like the technical details, but I think it's so important to like retain focus on, on these bigger goals of it's, it's, I mean, lead service line replacement is part of it. Right. But like what we're talking about is making sure that people have access to safe drinking water that, you know, is in good repair and you know like that they can afford and like these that's fundamentally what we're talking about right and i i think it's so important to keep sight of that as 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 we sometimes drift into these real
1: you know technical kind of wonky topics so thank you for bringing us back to that yeah no no thank you Uh, and i think that's a a great way to kind of you know close out the show right With, with with the end of this conversation bringing it back to this point of 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 centering equity, right? So that all folks have access to, to safe, sufficient, you know, water in their homes. And so, so Justin Williams of, of Metro Planning, Metropolitan Planning Council, thanks again for, for joining me, uh, you know, here and, and, and thanks for all of your hard work on, uh, you know, getting this, you know, this, this landmark legislation over the line in collaboration with so many partners on the ground. Uh, you know, it's much, much appreciated. I look forward to, to kind of the implementation. Water
0: Thank you for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding and to Hydroloop for sponsorship. Remember, you can support the Waterloop nonprofit media outlet at patreon.com slash Waterloop. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop,
1: Waterloop.